Recorded live. From Coolidge, Arizona, on January the 17th, 2013, we're in the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Tonight we will be limited primarily to verses 7 and 8, but just a little overview. Remember in chapter 1, verse 5, we've already discussed this in a previous lesson, but the one who is loving us, loving is in the present tense. Who is it that he is loving in verse 5? Do we have a response? You can look. It's in verse 5. To him, to him who loves or who is loving whom? Christian. All right. The, the ones who were washed. And that they, they are the Christians. They are the ones who are cleansed, who have been released from their sins and, and uh, were washed is in the arrowist, which is uh, telling us that it is a punctiliar act in the past, whereas loves is in the present tense. He is continuing to love those who have been washed, and of course we understand that's referring to Christian water baptism. Those are the ones who have been cleansed and their spirit renewed from God's perspective. What is it that they have been washed from? Sin. Sin. And so you have a beautiful picture here, a beautiful, a beautiful picture in your mind's eye that Jesus continues to love those for whom he has died, who have come and been cleansed and released from their sin by and in his blood. We must remember that in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, which I don't think we've dealt with, that uh, uh, the life is in the blood. Who remembers what president died when they let his blood out. Um, A president in the United States. Let's see. Was sick. How about Taft? Oh, you are wrong. That's the that's the most wrong answer we've had so far. I that that that's well worth an A. No, that's the second wrong answer. How about Washington? Washington. Now, you know, uh, have any of you ever seen a a barbershop pole? Do they have those, still have them around? Obviously, I don't go to where they have barbershops. Right down the street here. Right down there. And they have the white and the red on them. Well, the red stands for bloodletting on that barber pole. And you used to go into a barber shop and sit down there, and because you your body produces too much blood, it was bloodletting, and they would keep they would drain part of your blood out a little bit on each arm, and that's what's represented by that barber's pole. We forget that, but then if you can go back thirty five hundred years, that's even before Ray. 3,500 years, the Bible knew that the life was where? In the 
in the blood. So when you're letting the blood, that means letting it out of your body, you are letting your life out. So science has always been slow in catching up with the scientific facts of the Bible, and that's one of them. So the life is in the blood, and when we come to Christ through his blood, which we meet in that which represents his death, because that's where his blood was shed, and we do so having believed that he is the Son of God, we are released from our past, we are released from our sin, set free from the sin, and it is a beautiful, beautiful picture that John presents, uh, provides to us here in verse 5. And then in verse 6, the result of that having been cleansed is that we become a kingdom of priests. That is, we, are all, we all have an equal spot with God. We are a kingdom of priests. And we need to remember that he is setting the precedent for what he's going to be developing throughout this book and particularly to the fullest extent in chapters 21 and chapter 22. Now, this one who is loving those who have been cleansed because they have come in his blood and have become a kingdom of priests, this is the one who is coming in verse 7. <clears throat> and that brings us to tonight. <clears throat> so in verse 7, he cometh. We've already discussed several options, I mean several scriptures about uh, what that means. And I want, I want to uh, bring um, uh, all, I want to I state this, that all of the events in this book, What's the key word in my statement? All. Well, that, that's probably the, the right one, but all of the events, all of the prophetic events in this book are constrained to what time boundaries in verses 1 and 3? Soon and at hand. And that includes then, this verse 7 is no exception. And we discuss elements of that in chapter, uh, in lesson number 9, episode 9, where we discussed the time and the nature of his coming and that it was going to take place in the lifetime of those people to whom he was telling it. And we've already provided enough evidence where you understand why we have come to that conclusion. And so from this point on, we'll just deal with that as a, um, um, a condition of previous studies that we believe is the, is the way it ought to be. So what takes place in verse 7? <clears throat> All right. He comes with the clouds, and he comes with the he comes with the clouds, and probably what kind of clouds? 
clouds of judgment. Like fluffy clouds, but in the Bible it's always storm clouds, isn't it? That's right. Whenever it talks about God coming in the clouds in Isaiah or other places, and we've read those passages in previous lessons, it was the coming of judgment, and it is represented as God coming in the clouds of destruction, the dark, stormy clouds, and we need to think of that in this term. Is this word actually coming or is it? Oh, it's, uh, let's look at it. It isn't either. Neither? No, it's neither. Uh, if we can look that up, Alex, uh, he is coming with the cloud. It, that appears to be in the English uh, in what tense? Now, just answer the question before you look too much. He is uh, coming in the clouds. Notice that it is in the present tense. So he is coming now. He is in the, it is pro, the process of his arrival is already taking place. It is in the present when he's writing. Not that he is coming in the future, because then what would the tense be? Future. It would be future tense. But it is in the present tense. It's like he's already here and the car door is open. That's right. And it's not punctiliar. It is in, it's in the indicative mood. Therefore, present has both time and kind of action. The kind of action in the present tense is lineal. You know what I mean? It's, it's a straight line. So it's a continued act. So he is in the process of coming when? According to what we've just said. Then. 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 then, then, to when it was writing, and if if we were if he had been writing this to us, we'd say well now, but it's uh, present to when he was writing, and where is this going to take place? Look at the verse carefully. See if you can de- uh, dissect it. Uh, back to the English. There you go. Verse seven. Where is this going to take place? All the sides of the earth. That's the who. Where's the where, uh, where? What is the where? It's in that verse. You're right. You're right on it. The I'm the probably earth. not asking clearly. It's the tribes of the, the earth. Of the earth. Of the earth. Not the tribes of heaven, eh? It's not a heavenly scene. It's an earthly scene. We need to keep that. And there's a clue that it's all the tribes of the earth. So where does the mourning take place? On earth. On earth. That's where it takes place. Now, who's there? Now, we're on, by the way, we're on the notes um, uh, down underneath verse 7. Who's going to see? Who, what are the three matters here that are dealt with? Who's there? On earth, in verse 7. All right, you you have all the tribes, and we're going to spend a little bit of time on that. And we have those who pierced. And every eye. And he doesn't give us any clue as to whom he means, but every eye will see him. 
and every eye. And let's uh, let's look at that. Uh, uh, we'll see there. And you see, future. that's that's future. But now notice at the um, voice. Okay, it's it's that in the future, every eye will be acknowledging the one who is in the process of coming. Middle voice, too. And his coming is in the middle voice, too. Right. Which means what? It means that it isn't he that is activating the coming, but the people are seeing what he is what he is doing. That's a that, that's a very good point. Yeah. Cometh is in the middle voice. Um, I should have made a point of that earlier. <clears throat> so who's there? Well, uh, whoever has an eye, <clears throat> and that may be including that it's not. Everybody who is inhabiting the world, but we don't know that. Those who pierced him. So where are those who pierced him? On the earth. They're still on the earth. Every eye is still on the earth. So then this book then and his coming has to take place while those who pierced him are still living and on earth. Did you get it? Can you explain to me what Oh, that was his crucifixion. And we'll come back. I'm going to go to Zechariah in just a minute. Good question. And that has to do with the piercing of him uh, on the cross. So we have those. And um, so what does that say then about the time frame of what this coming is limited to? If these are all on earth, and those who pierced him, they already before his death. At his death, and it would be the people who were a part of the process. So, would that be in our future? No, wouldn't be in our future millions of years ago. <laughs> well, uh, whatever, long enough ago. That's good. Uh, you, you're, you're catching on quick. That's worth an A. <clears throat> no, I think it's worth a C. Uh, a who? C. A C? No, oh, no, no. That's a good. That's good thinking. So, does does this analysis of a time frame when this all must take place? Behold, he is in the process of coming, lineal action, not an act, in the present tense, in the middle voice. Does that agree with verses 1 and 3 that deal with time frame? Near and soon in that time frame? You see how it all fits together? And I wondered about these things. And I found ways of getting around this, but you know, the bottom line is you can't. You've got to come and face it square, and we're talking about something that was going to take place in the lifetime of those people to whom he was writing this 
and verse after verse that we're going to see really reinforces that. <clears throat> now, we want to deal with something else tonight, some, some uh, additional observations. Uh, <clears throat> and then we'll come back uh, and um, deal with verse 8. And that won't take long for as far as tonight is concerned. David, are you going to talk about the tribes and kindreds? I am. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where I'm going to go now. All right. Let's, um, uh, let's look at on the notes we have down there tribes. What does the word there that you use? Tribes or kindreds? And remember, he's got those who pierced him. Uh, <clears throat> if he's talking about the Romans, here, and we'll, we'll discuss this in Zechariah when we get to it. Uh, that's one thing. <clears throat> Every eye would include anybody else. But we need to identify, because we're going to have used often in this book, the usage of the word tribes. Now, when we look at the word tribe in verse 7, or kindred, and according to Bollinger, and I have his references here, he says it is according, and I'm quoting from Bollinger, uh, the Greek lexicon, according to ties of blood and descent. So who, and he, whether it's tribes or kindred, it's the same word in the Greek. And it means uh, one who has a blood tie or is tied by descent which would be by blood, really. Now, does that, when it says the word tribe here, does that include you? No. All right, so we're going to find out who these tribes are. And that can become interesting, maybe. Uh, <clears throat> but here it does not include us. But let's go over to Revelation 5 and verses uh, 9 and 10. Is Caden wanting a grade tonight? Boy, it's nice to have a little baby in here. What? Why, because the first time, first chance, first time you have actually more hair than somebody else in the room. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Now, Alex, <clears throat> let's have a let's have Revelation five, and then I want to ask it and, and verses uh, um, nine and ten. Worthy, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. So everybody can be purchased by God and fit into verse 5 of chapter 1. Right? Now, can you find yourself in this verse? All right. Every language, every people, and if that doesn't encompass it, every nation, every, goes with every word, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. 
is descriptive of all of them. Follow through, like sometimes articles are that are not always re- replaced in front of each noun. Sometimes uh, an article uh, is one article is sufficient to cover all of the nouns, but in this case, uh, we we find ourselves there. So let's go to Exodus chapter 20, uh, 31 and just get a little bit of background, and then we'll go. Uh, uh, yeah, Exodus chapter thirty-one, verse two and three. Ezra, that's close. Uh, chapter 31 mm-hmm. of Exodus. That's all right. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 2 and 6. So here, see, I have called my name Bezael, the son of um, Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. So who, who, what's a tribe refer to here? Family. Family. Descent. And of whom? Judah. Of the tribe of Judah. Look at verse 6. Behold, I myself have appointed him uh, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all who are skillful I have put uh, I have put skill that they may make all that I have commanded you. So here you have again the tribe of Dan. You follow? Now go to chapter 24 and verse 4 of Exodus. 24, verse 4. I don't know how old nimble fingers can do, do so fast. Now Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 what of Israel? Right. 12 tribes of Israel. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 113. You say, well, this is, you know, we already know that. But we need to, we need to get this confirmed about the definition because it's going to pour, it's going to play a part as we proceed through. So choose wise and discerning and experienced men from your what? Right. And I will appoint them as heads. So these uh <clears throat> and so he did so in verse 15 and they they break down. So we understand then that tribes here does not include you and does not include me. It included whom? Those who were descended from Abraham and the and the, the and Jacob, Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the twelve sons of Jacob became the twelve tribes of Israel, and you know that's prior to the division between Israel and Judah. But then that's why I read the one of, of the tribe of Judah. So that we, we've got everybody encompassed now who the Bible refers to as a tribe. The Jews. the Jews. Anybody have a problem with that? All right. 
Now, let's go to Zechariah. <clears throat> you know, this would have been ideal had we spent more time or some time in, in Zechariah <clears throat> before we began this study. You know, Thessalonians and Peter, but Ze- Zechariah is, uh, is crucial. So we'll, we'll be making a lot of uh, trips in and around Zechariah. If any of you have any extra time, why memorize the book. Um, you know, that's a job, to memorize a whole book. It's a big job. I'll try to encourage you to do it, but don't expect me to. It's <laughs> a so one-way street, huh? All right, look, let's look at uh, <clears throat> Zechariah 12:9. Now, so what we're looking at here, this quote that we find in our text in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, he has pulled out of that, he has pulled something out of the text in Zechariah and put it into his passage here in Revelation 1-7. need to keep that in mind. The Jews would all have recognized the language. Today, we are not familiar enough with the Old Testament to really know how all this fits together. So we have to spend more time into the Old Testament. Look with me. Uh, actually, we'll, we'll begin with verse 10. There's, there is so much here, um, <clears throat> but we have a process of things going on. Let's just begin with verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. That is, I'm going to give them a sense of feeling the dis- uh, grace is not a separate entity, by the way, folks, nor is supplication. Well, who is that? Oh, this is supplication. Oh, this guy that's bald over here, yeah, he's supplication. No, they're not separate entities. They are simply attributes, and they're identifiable attributes. These attributes that he was going to give to them was going to give them a sense of intense feeling on what was taking place so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and have a hardened heart and never blink an eye. No. See, he's given to them the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced. See, John has pulled what he is saying out of this Old Testament context. And they will do what then? They will mourn for him. He has enabled them to mourn as one mourns for an only son. And they will weep bitterly over him like the bitter weeping over a firstborn. 
In that day. In what day? In that day when they have pierced him or in that period of time surrounding that event, the land uh, in that day there will be great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning of Hadadrimmon in the plain of Megiddo. The land will mourn every family by itself including the family of the house of David, by itself and their wives, by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan, by itself and their wives, by themselves, and he goes on and tells more. But that's all that we need to go for there. Now, when when Ezekiel, I mean Ezekiel. Zechariah is reporting to us something that God has told him. John is writing for us and reporting for us the same thing from the same God. So they must be in agreement. See the point? And would Zechariah or would John pull a text out of Zechariah that was not in harmony with all of the context and use it in his to mean something other than what the context of Zechariah was. And I say no, if you got that. So the original source of what John is saying is Zechariah, and he's pulling it out of a context of the fall of Jerusalem. It's obvious. We've just read it. And there's going to be mourning. What's the time frame? What's the specific time frame of Zechariah uh, 12 and verse 10? It was the piercing of the sun. And those who saw him, who saw him, will mourn at what event? So John is not taking a part of the statement. He is taking it to represent the whole picture of Zechariah, and that is that it refers to the fall of Jerusalem. And especially, not just the land of Israel, but especially the city of Jerusalem and the land of Israel, and even beyond that, but specifically the city of Jerusalem. Now, in chapter 13... <clears throat> coming down on your notes. In that day, a fountain will be opened. Why is that? Because at the fall of Jerusalem, the old fountain has just been closed. What was the old fountain that had just been closed 
because of the destruction of Jerusalem. The law and the Jewish system and the temple. In that day a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. For what things? For what? Sin. Sin. And for impurity. And for impurity. Isn't that what is accomplished by Jesus' death on the cross and the shedding of his blood? So this is referring to, that's the confirmation. The fall of Jerusalem was the confirmation that a new fountain has been opened. The old one has been closed. And that's typified by the fall of the temple, the destruction of the temple, and the fall of Jerusalem. All right, let's go to chapter 14 and verses 1 and 4. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. Verse 4, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. What day? That day when he comes in judgment against Israel. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley so that half of the mountains will move toward the north and the other toward the south. You will flee by the valley of my mountains and, and uh, you know, etc. So now go to Luke chapter 21. <clears throat> With that verse having been read, Luke chapter 21 and verses 20. And 22. But when you see Jerusalem, which is involved in these three chapters of Zechariah, Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, are all dealing with the church and the destruction of apostate Israel in symbolic terminology. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who were in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these days, these are the days of vengeance, so that all things spoken of by Zechariah will be what? You got it. I'm suggesting, therefore, that in Zechariah uh, chapter 12, verses 9 through 12 specifically, uh, if John quoted from this passage regarding the coming of the Lord, uh, it must also refer to the other things in that context. It must refer to the destruction of apostate Israel and the temple. And I think it is obvious that it all fits together. Now, verse 8, and we'll conclude. Not much here at this point. Uh, who is in verse 8? I am the Alpha and the Omega, and uh, saith the Lord. So in verse 4, who, who is this language referring to? You can take time to look. 
No, um, my, in my, that's not my. Um, I need to make my question clear. In verse seven, when it says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega," who is that? Ref- who is uh, who is this identified with in verse four? God the Father. God the Father. Every book that I've got, every book that I've got says it's referring to Jesus. What was that? Kind of an oxymoron when you say God the Father anyway. God is God. Yeah. And Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> but, yeah, um, that's the reference. Yep. So I, I'm sug- at, least, at least a strong suggestion here that it means the same thing here as it means in verse 4. And is it obvious in verse 4? Jesus separately there. That's right. Separate entities. Before his throne. That's God's throne. That's that's right. Before his throne. So when he talks about the Alpha and the Omega, and then you have in your text, how how does the translation differ from the original? Lord God. He said, saith the, it says the Lord in English, but it's, in the Greek it says the Lord God. And what about the beginning and the ending? And I want to make a point of that because uh, I'm going to bring a part of a lesson defining why the beginning and the ending shouldn't be here along with the alpha and the omega but that's for another that's for another lesson so um, when he talks about the alpha and the omega saith the lord who which is and which was and which is to come the almighty we're going to say that's referring to the same one who is described that way in verse 4 which is the Father, God, Almighty. But verse 5 makes it clear that it says, and from Jesus Christ. And from, that's right. It's very separate that you, you, can't, you can't miss it, really. Really, it, it, it's got to be clear, uh, and uh, we need to keep that in mind as we prog- pro- progress here. Verse six. In in verse six. Verse six. What's that? Verse six. And John says, and he made us to be a kingdom, to be priests unto his God and Father. Yes. To him, speaking of Jesus, made them his God and Father. That's right. Which is never stressed, of course. That is that's right. In any theology. And I'm going to mention that this book has this translated right as well. The New Syriac, the, the Syriac New Testament um, also has this translated the way that the Greek has it. And why have they added that in there? It's, it's a Trinitarian influence 
and we'll see more of that. But even in the in, even in the a couple of the books that I'm making references to consistently, and I've given you uh, you know some documents with them on in here, uh, they all refer to this as the Messiah. Now, what I'm what I'm going to do in summary here is on that verse eight, that this revelation. <clears throat> is within the boundaries of the one giving it. It does not exceed what's going to be prophesied, what's going the events that are going to be laid out in this book do not exceed the capability of God seeing it through. Or is it outside of his awareness and existence? He is stating by that I am the Alpha and the Omega that he has the authority in the time frame of this book, the beginning and the end of this book, he has the authority to carry everything out that you will find in this book. And that authority is only with the Father and what he delegates to the Son. And it's because of the Son that all of it takes place and the residual effect when he's all done. Any questions? Um, The other issue of of the piercing... Even yes. though it was the Romans who pierced him, it was the Jews that said just a, an hour or two before that let his blood be on us. Yeah, that's right. And Jesus had said that it was beforehand that, even before that time. So there isn't any confusion there as far as the piercing goes. It was uh, added to their account. Well, they were held responsible for it because they're the ones who turned him over to the Romans. The greater sin. To do it. Yep. And so the guilt, he said, you are going to carry out the guilt. The, The guilt of everything will be satisfied with the end of Jerusalem and the Jews. Okay. Any other questions? All right, let's um, end for tonight, and we'll take up uh, the next verses next week.